Our theme over recent Sunday evenings has been the providence of God. We've been considering together what exactly it is and what are the actual implications of that in your life and mine. How is the providence of God actively at work in this world which is his and in your life and mine and in everything else that is taking place? And over the last few weeks I've also acknowledged that there are aspects of God's providence which sometimes can be very difficult. There are aspects of God's providence that can be very hard. Well, we're not going to pretend that that's not the case. We need to think about that, don't we? And consider it. Uh, I have to say, during the course of this last week, as I've been thinking all of this through, uh, the one thought that kept coming to my mind is that there is so much more to say. (laughs) And even now with the sermon planned there's so much more to say but God willing at least what I can say this evening will be of some great help to you as we think about this some of the providence of God really are hard to understand and accept and those providences can be many and varied some difficult providences are with people from the moment of their birth a physical or mental condition with which they are born, which will remain with them their whole life through, perhaps even to grow worse as the years go by. A difficult circumstance into which a person is born, extreme poverty or deprivation, war and violence, civil unrest, severe oppression and exploitation, a dysfunctional family, a violent or neglectful parent, and so on. And that's the only life that person will know unless some means of release or escape is found. For most of us, difficult providences are particular events and circumstances which come upon us as we live our lives. Some are temporary and will pass. Others will endure for far longer. Some, once past, will in many ways enable things to resume as they were before. Others will be dramatically life-changing. Some will be of the body, accident, injury, illness, death. Others will be to do with the mind and the emotional life bereavement, stress and anxiety, mental breakdown, the anguish we feel when these things fall upon those who we love, when we feel so helpless, broken relationships, betrayal, on and on it goes. Many come in the form of an unwarranted and unplanned changed in circumstance that's kind of forced upon us. Redundancy. You go home and find your home has been burgled and ransacked. You get a letter in the post and all of a sudden, without any notice at all, the landlord's cancelled your tenancy and given you a month's notice to find somewhere new to live. And you've got a family to look after and find a roof for them. Divorce, separation. 
And of course, often you'll find there's a combination of these things all working together that just cause a feeling of utter despair in many people. And as Christians, on top of all of that, you can have the difficulties and persecutions and opposition that may come because you're a follower of Christ. So what do we make of all of these things? What is God doing? Why would a good God do that? You heard unbelievers ask you that question? Without the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, it's very hard to convince them of the answer. You can tell them what the answer is, but it's hard to convince them. Well, for this evening, with so much more that could be said, let me give you five principles that will help you on these issues. We're barely scratching the surface, really. But I trust that these things, if we can take hold of them and if we can understand them, they will help us to be kept from so much of the anxiety and despair into which we see the rest of the world sinking. Because we realise we have a God in heaven who is over all of these things, working out his purposes. So when these really hard and difficult providences come, why would a good God do that? Well, number one, they're not in any special order, these, by the way. Number one, to deal with sin. To deal with sin. Now, this applies both to the ungodly and to those who are the Lord's. To the ungodly, God's providence can sometimes bringing out, bring about a hardening of their heart against him, like Pharaoh in Egypt in Exodus. And so confirming them in their sin and confirming them as being under God's justice and of God's judgment that's against them. Or it will be that this is the means that God is going to use to break their stubborn heart and to cause them to fall on their knees before him, to cry out to him for mercy and to know that love and grace which is found only in Christ and to put them on their knees in repentance before him. Because he wants to deal with them. He wants to deal with their sin. And God strips away all of the things of this world that they've been relying upon in order to cause them to cast themselves upon him. In this regard, we may conclude that it will usually be God working in such a way as to deal with the whole problem of their sins and their sinfulness generally rather than specific sins individually. He wants to deal with their sinfulness and their sins. And what of the, what of the believer? Well, sometimes these difficult providences are those things which God uses to assist the inward working of his Holy Spirit in the ongoing work of sanctification within us. In this regard, it may be that there are specific sins which you're still hanging on to as a believer. And you need to let go of them. You need to be done with them. You need to repent of them. And God is bringing this circumstance to you in order to make you do that. 
But one very strong word of caution is necessary here, though. Dealing with sin or dealing with a sin may be the reason why God has done this, but there are many other possibilities too. And oh, the word of caution is particularly because in some Christian circles, it is said that an important part of the victory in which you now live and walk, that you have in Christ, is to be set free from all illness, to be set free from all of such uh, bad situations and experiences and if you do fall into those kinds of things well it's obviously because you're harboring some sin in your life it's a very wicked and perverse doctrine and sometimes this can be applied unrelentingly by church leaders upon their poor victims which is what they are who become crushed by the whole experience So a word of caution, but sometimes God needs to deal with our sin and uses hard, difficult circumstances in order to bring us to a place of repentance once again. An interesting account is given of one of the early church fathers who had an unrelenting headache, just a chronic, constant headache, and he prayed and prayed that God would relieve him of it. And one day, apparently, he did. But he found that with this new clarity of mind, all kinds of wrongful thoughts and lusts and emotions came flooding in. And so he got back on his knees and prayed for the headache to return. Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Sometimes these hard circumstances for believers, it's God's training school, it's God's disciplining of us in our sanctifying. There's that infamous thorn in the flesh of which the Apostle Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations that I, I receive, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. This thing was given to Paul to keep him humble, to keep him low, to keep him having to continually Turn to the Lord and rely upon the Lord for relief and for comfort and for grace. And indeed, although Paul prayed that this, whatever it was, could be taken away, the answer that God gave was, my grace will be sufficient for you. And the thorn in the flesh continued because God's strength is made per perfect in weakness. And so Paul therefore concluded, I will most gladly therefore rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might be upon me. So I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. Because when I'm weak, then it is that I know the strength of the Lord in my life. Why would a good God do that? 
Number two, to grow us in faith and trust. Are you relying upon favourable and pleasant circumstances in your life? Are you relying upon the pleasures of this world to determine whether or not today has been a good day or a bad day? To determine whether you're happy or whether you're sad? Are you relying upon the things of this world to determine those things? Only an easy life, only a pleasant life, only a trouble-free life. That's the only kind of life, surely, that can be worth living. There's a lot of that in the world today. A lot of the talk around uh, assisted suicide and euthanasia is all getting caught up in there. Might God need to show you that your happiness in him is not bound up in all of these things? Might it be that God has brought this circumstance into your life to release you from that way of thinking? Might God bring about circumstances in your life in order to prove and grow your faith? In order that you find your satisfaction and your peace in him, regardless of the circumstances you're in. So Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 says, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold which perishes, though it's tested by fire. Sometimes the circumstances the Lord calls us to endure, it can, it can feel like being, putting through, being put through the fire. But they might be found to praise and honour and glory at the revelation of Christ. When you read through the Gospels and when you observe the life of Jesus, you discover something. When the trials grew greater, he ran towards his father, not away from him. There's a lesson to learn. When the trials grow greater, you run to God. You don't back away from him. And we grow in faith and in trust. When Paul prayed for this grievous thorn in the flesh to be removed, God's response was that he wanted Paul to know and to be able to testify of the sufficiency of God's grace. And he did, he could. And then we have the passage that we read before in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And particularly from verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. There's been um, a drama serialisation on one of the many, many channels about the life of the Queen. Uh, Olivia Colman, I've not seen it, but Olivia, Olivia Colman is playing the role of the Queen and just recently... As part of that series, they had a dramatisation with some pretty devastating computer-generated images of the tragedy that took place in Wales in the village of Aberfan in the last century when a huge slag heap collapsed and engulfed a primary school and virtually a whole generation of children were lost along with their teachers. A year after that happened, 
they held a memorial stroke anniversary service. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was invited to preach. In front of him are these dozens and dozens of grieving parents still raw with grief. What verse would you choose to preach on? This is the verse he chose. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Light? Have you gone mad, Dr. Lloyd-Jones? Well, a young pastor, I think it was Vernon Hyam, was there. And he too wondered whether Dr. Lloyd-Jones had had a bit of a wobbler in deciding to preach on this verse. But Dr. Lloyd-Jones, in the most wonderful, glorious, compassionate, gracious way, went on to show that with all that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, if your faith and your hope are in him, all the blessings and privileges that God pours into your life, all of that is sufficient to far outweigh any of this world's afflictions. And by comparison, they are light. And in the realm of eternity, they are indeed but for a moment. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's it. But he learned it. And he learned it in the school of affliction. And he learned it in the school of difficult providences which God brought into his life. He had to learn it. And it's not a lesson you can learn if life is permanently easy, peaceful and untroubled. In the school of affliction and suffering is where such lessons are learned. I've learned in whatever state I am, to be content. The trial of Job in the Old Testament all began because Satan made the accusation that the only reason that this man so trusts God and refrains from evil is because God has given him such a cushy life with so much uh, luxury and ease. Strip it all away take everything from him, family, livelihood, health, and then we'll find what Job has to say about God. And what did Job say? Chapter 13. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh 
I will seek God. Sometimes hard providences come our way. But the Lord is bringing good into the hearts and souls of his people. Why would God do that? To bring about good for others. 2 Corinthians 1, now if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. If we are comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. We are suffering, but it's for your good that you might be encouraged, that you might be built up in the faith. Many of you know the, the wonderful Christian lady, Johnny Erickson Tarda. She, for over 60 years now, has been a quadriplegic following a swimming accident when she was a teenager. Not only has she been used mightily in gospel work, which is my next point after this one, because often the Lord uses these difficult things in amazing ways for the cause of the gospel and for the furtherance of the gospel. But what an encouragement she has been to countless believers. What an example she is. How, he sh how she shames many with her attitude and her strength of faith in Christ. In daily pain. In complete dependence upon others for virtually all physical aspects of her life. Yet radiant with the love and grace of Christ. And she does the souls of other believers good. Made strong indeed as she is in her great weakness. And God's used that in the lives of others. Who with so much more freedom of movement that she has. Do so little for Christ by comparison. And with so little affliction compared to her. Are filled with self-pity. Joseph at the end of. Genesis chapter 50 at verse 20 is able to make that remarkable statement which is so often quoted and rightly so as he's finally reunited with his brothers recalling all the dreadful things that they did to him and they recalling all the dreadful things that they did to him is able to say to them you meant it for evil God meant it for good And I've said this before, and it's worth saying again. It's not that God somehow was just able to rescue this mess that they'd all got themselves into and bring something out of it at the last minute. God meant it for good. What terrible and unjust treatment Joseph encountered at the hands of his brothers. What awful false accusations were made against him by Potiphar's wife, which landed him in prison. Yet all along... God is so directing things that Joseph would rise to the unimaginable rank and status in Egypt so that he's in a position to rescue his family and maintain that family and keep that storyline going and keep that thread running through the scriptures which is all leading towards Christ. And so we see that God can use difficult circumstances and hard providences in order that through us, God may bring good to others. 
and that ties in with, with Joseph's life. Why would a good God do that? Well, it's to further his purposes and the cause of the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 6, For me, that utter, pray for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Here I am in prison. Pray for me that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak in my chains. And then he's able to say to the Philippian church, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it's become evident to the whole palace God and to all the rest, my chains are in Christ. I've been able to speak to all of these people. I'm sharing with them the good news of Christ. And the brethren, all the other believers in the churches, they've become more confident by my chains. And they're much more bold now to speak the gospel because of my circumstances. New doors have been opened, new opportunities to share Christ, new people to speak to, new ways and places in which to be a witness, none of which would have been possible if God had not led Paul through those trials and afflictions. And because of that, because he has his heart and mind open to this other perspective, he's able to rejoice and give thanks and he's content. You're faced with a choice as a Christian. You can start to learn to view things as God would have you view them, just like the Apostle Paul learned to do it. Or you can just keep your focus only upon yourself and just grow bitter and resentful. Are these things easy? No, I don't pretend they are for a moment. But it's in our weakness that we'll know the Lord's strength. And whenever your cry goes up to him, he stands waiting to listen and to strengthen and to bless. One final thing. Why would a good God do that? To cause you to look to eternity. To cause you to look to eternity. Set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. You died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. This is one of the things that kept Paul and spurred him on all the time. So when he's writing to Timothy and he knows he still only has just a few months now to live, he's able to say to Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As for me, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. But listen to the testimony he can give. I fought the good fight. Let me tell you, it was a fight. He knew he was in a battle. It was hard. I finished the race. He ran well. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Ah. All those things that are behind him, 
all start to fade. There before him in eternity is his saviour. There is his eternal reward. There is the place where he will be set free from all of these things. No more sorrows, no more pain, no more floggings and beatings, no more shipwrecks, no more stoning. Every tear that he's ever shed wiped dry. Keep looking. The writer to the Hebrews in, in chapter 12, just keep running. Keep running with your eyes fixed on Christ. With your eyes fixed on Christ. And thinking of eternity, this takes us back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 again. The very final verse. We don't look at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. As all of these afflictions come upon us, as all of these hardships and trials come our way, our focus is not the things that we can see. Our focus is not the things that we feel. They're real. They're there. We don't pretend they're not. They're not the things we're focusing upon. We look to the things that are not seen. We look heavenwards. We look to Christ and we look to eternity. And that's where we find our strength and that's where we find our hope and that's where we put our trust. As we go through these hardships and difficulties, can we know at the time which of these categories, if you like, it is that we're going through? No, sometimes we can't. Sometimes we have no idea at the time in the thick of it all. We have no idea what it is God is doing. We can't see his purposes sometimes. But we go back to the scriptures. We go back to the testimony of those who've gone before us. And we allow these great truths, we allow these great promises, we allow these wonderful assurances to grip us and to keep us and maintain us. Why would a good God do that because he's working all things all things all things for his purposes and for his glory through his people and if you're in Christ in the end it's heaven but if you're not if you're not